your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring positive actions, inspiring positive achievements, exceptional people rising to the challenge worldwide. Well, first, I have to apologize for not getting this episode launched as planned as usual a few hours ago, but we have had some major windstorms and thunderstorms causing outages and internet not to be not working. But before all of that happened, Mike and I were able to go out boondocking with our dog Mele Klikimaka, Maka for short. We had such a good time. Of course, it the thunderstorm started coming in. We got caught in some rainstorms. We were out mountain biking. Oh, it was just beautiful. And we were out a little bit when the rains came in and yeah, we got we got drenched. But we knew we had a warm little trailer to come back to, so uh, we weren't too worried. But there was an elk that came oh within 100 yards, and she just grazed uh, around our camp area, and we watched from the inside. It was really nice, very peaceful. Well, we are citizens of the world, and that is such an incredible phrase. And I got that phrase, actually, from one of my guests, Michael Pereira, who is a dancer over in Paris. Check out his episode. It's so incredibly inspiring. But he said, we are citizens of the world, and I know that phrase is used. But thank you for using it on my podcast, and I just appreciate you. And as citizens of the world, we have res- we have a responsibility to each other and, of course, to our planet. And it is because of that obligation to each other, to humanity, that I started this podcast, Your Positive Imprint. And I absolutely, I absolutely love this podcast because I am meeting people all over the world from big cities, little villages, people who are doing environmental work, climate change scientists, and people who are doing civil rights work, and people who compose poetry. And it it is just, that's why it's a variety show. I just so much love it, and I so appreciate you for listening. And as part of June, it is Ocean Awareness Month. Excuse me. June is Ocean Awareness Month. And I am relaunching an episode I did a couple of weeks ago, Helen Phillips, and today I am relaunching the Steenland family, the Sea Monkey Project. But I was so happy to receive an update from now 15-year-old, yes, 15-year-old Sydney Steenland, who is the spokesperson and the founder of the Sea Monkey Project. And she has an update. But before she comes on, next week's guest is, has challenged me, Christopher Marciano. And he has challenged me with something that's pretty big. So tune in next week to find out what he challenged me with, but also because he is another amazing positive imprint. And you will love him. But before you love him, you are going to love, again, if you've already heard her episode before or her work, the Steenland family, the Sea Monkey Project. Well, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, and you can subscribe to my uh, mailing list, Your Positive Imprint, at my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. You can listen to this podcast on 
any podcast platform, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just your favorite platform. Music is composed by Chris Knoll, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. And again, those compositions I'm using are Gumbalaya and Elevated Intentions. And <laughs> I love Elevated Intentions. Again, chrisknoll.com. And now that special update from 15-year-old Sydney Steenland of The Sea Monkey Project. Hello everybody, this is Sydney Steenland here from The Sea Monkey Project and I'm here with an update on what The Sea Monkey Project has been up to since this podcast was originally released. So pre-COVID-19, The Sea Monkey Project were doing things like uh, recycling, uh, as was mentioned in this podcast, and also uh, we've been involved in this um, workbook called Ambassadors for the Planet, and we also began doing things like harvesting fishing net and rope that has been entangled in mangroves and in, in the ocean, floating around the ocean, and um, tangled amongst rocks on islands. So we saw that this was quite a valuable material that's still quite durable but it's actually very, very bad for the environment. So it makes up a very wide percentage of plastic pollution in the ocean, uh, something like 40%. Uh, don't count on that fact from me, I may be wrong, but I, from what I last remember, it was like 40% of plastic pollution is actually from fishing industry. So we went and we collected these materials and we began upcycling them in our headquarters. And we began upcycling them into things like keychain loops and um, uh, drawstring bags uh, with a net. So a lot of, a big variety of um, random bits and pieces. But that was sort of the birth of our newest line of products that we are extremely proud of. So these products are actually 100% upcycled material. Uh, backpacks, tote bags, and fanny packs. So these, we we saw all of these materials that have been discarded um, in the water sport industry, the fishing industry. Uh, thing when I say water sport industry, I mean sailing, I mean uh, surfing, windsurfing, kite surfing, all stuff like that. Uh, materials like the sails, wetsuits, or fishing nets or um, rope, bits and pieces like that. This is all such durable and valuable material and it's just going to waste. So we have been collecting all of this and we've been we've been cutting them up, uh, finding out what material works best and uh, where and where it looks best and we've been putting these all together into these unique and uh, water resistant and uh, durable backpacks, tote bags, and fanny packs. Uh, Even the stitching is 100% recycled uh, plastic, but these are all upcycled backpacks, and we're very proud of them, and this has been our most recent thing. So, the thing is, uh, during during recent times, during COVID-19, since it affected our project quite largely, we decided to take on a new approach to our project. So, we realized that As we said in the podcast, recycling will never be the answer and we have sort of stepped a little bit back from recycling and more into upcycling, which means giving an item a much higher value than what it was valued before, but we're also working more on education. And the thing with the Ambassadors for the Planet workbook, 
that's that's sort of gone very slow. It's still trying to we're still trying to um, launch it. We were about to launch it, but then uh, COVID nineteen happened, and now we are here with our own uh, plastic education comic book that was illustrated by my mother, compiled by her and a boat friend, and we have been teaching it all over the world. Um, it's downloadable free on our website and it teaches kids as young as I'm gonna say seven or eight all sorts of things like uh, where plastic came from why it's bad how you can avoid it how you can be an ocean hero so that's just a few things what we're up to uh, hopefully this message wasn't too long but um, hopefully we will see you guys in the future maybe on our social media where you can check out what we're up to in recent times and yeah, uh, hope you're all going good in this time. We wish fair winds and plastic-free seas to you all. My guest on the show today is a family of four from Australia. Sea life is under the threat of death. Fortunately, the sea monkeys are informing the world about ways to clean ocean plastic pollution. They're finding ocean plastic solutions. And you know, believe it or not, there are still communities who are not informed. They don't know that throwing plastic bags into the ocean is a death sentence for turtles and other sea life, and not to mention that in hundreds of years, that plastic will still exist as microplastic. Micro might mean small, but it is still huge. Well, there are ocean plastic solutions. Meet members of the Sea Monkey Project, a family of four who sail and live aboard their 41-foot yacht. Right now, I am looking at an absolute wonderful, beautiful family that is actually on a boat. They are from Australia, but they are anchored right now at Tiamen Island, Malaysia. And they range in age from child to parent. And this is very exciting to have the family, the four of you here. We have Sydney and Sarah, mom. And we have Carlos, dad. And we have little brother, Indy. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> this is really exciting to see you all sitting on your boat over there in Malaysia. Lily Platt, who is a, she's from the Netherlands, and I had a conversation with her a few months ago. Her mother calls this the University of Life, and I agree with Eleanor. Truly the University of Life. This is These are experiences that definitely will grow you and yes. enrich you. So, Sydney, how old are you? I'm 14. 14, and you've been living on the boat for how long? Uh, we moved on the boat when I was six years old, so about eight years now. <laughs> it was really fun sort of living on a boat because we got to do so many different things that we didn't get to do before. And, you know, it's kind of like camping, I guess. <laughs> Well, welcome, Sydney, to the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be featuring you and all of the work that you're doing and all of the different projects. Yes, thank you. I'm also happy to be here. And Sarah, hello. Sarah Steenland, Sydney's mom. You have what's called the Sea Monkey Project. Where did Sea Monkey come from? Uh, the Sea Monkey Project, yeah, we got an opportunity to you know, to keep everything kind of streamlined because um, we are known as the Sea Monkeys through the cruising community. We have our, our logo on the boat. We've got, you know, T-shirts with the logo. So it's sort of, you know, it's a lot easier. And we're a bunch yeah. of monkeys yeah, as well. Yeah, but there's always monkeying around as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always fun. It's a bit of fun. We're not 
either in like hating plastic or loving plastic. Um, we just, you know, because plastic is, is a very uh, useful item in a lot of, you know, you think like there's just so many different, you know, for, for transporting things and medical and it's a miracle product, but, you know, as far as it goes for human progress. But I think the main thing that we're focusing on is that it's just gotten out of control with single-use plastics is is probably the one that if we're going to hate a plastic, that's the one that we focus on, like straws and plastic bags, uh, takeaway containers, like styrofoam, uh, polystyrene. Yeah, that's the main the main uh, items that we see floating in the ocean and washed up on the beaches. Um, and that's the, the ones that tend to, you know, that uh, turtles ingest and whales and, you know, the, the plastic wrappings and, yeah, it's just... If you're going to focus, if we're going to focus on something, that's probably the one that that we because it's just too enormous to tackle it as a whole. So, yeah, we're narrowing down on just the overall con- excessive consumption of the society now, with you know having everything overpackaged. So yeah, yeah, I I got a photo of them of a banana from Family Mart, and it was wrapped in plastic. Even yeah. though bananas have their own natural wrapping. I really like the way you, you phrase the excessive consumption and overpackaging because that is the society we are living in. Sydney, what was your first experience? Are there any stories? Yeah, well, um, as we sailed and mostly through Asia, I guess, because, I mean, we found plastic everywhere. There's nowhere we've been that hasn't had plastic. But as we travelled, that's how we saw how bad the plastic pollution problem really was. And, you know, it was just, there was so much of it. And actually, you know, there's a lot of things that I've seen that's made me, um, you know, like, the re- I be- I'm vegetarian and I became vegetarian because I, that's, I saw chickens and stuff in Asia being killed. And, yeah, that's all that. But then when you see that there's plastic underneath, people's homes in the waters of where they actually get their food it's just this that's it really got into my mind and then when we got to Malaysia that's when we created the sea monkey project and I mean I guess I wasn't too aware of it before but as we created the sea monkey project that's how I started to learn a lot more and the people we meet and the things that we do has made me learn so much more and be much more I guess, passionate about it and... We are trying to provide the kids or give the kids an alternative way of thinking and that this is a normal way of life, that we need to start thinking not first and foremost about ourselves and about how much we can make, but how can we enjoy ourselves and be passionate and do something that we enjoy and be doing it for the greater good of everyone. So, I don't know, maybe it's just a mindset thing. It's something that she feels personally that she needs to try and do something about to help these animals or to help the earth and try and help the things that don't have a choice. uh, They're just stuck with it. And I think also the the way we teach the kids, um, because they obviously don't go to school, we haven't you know, agreed with the certain, you know, the standard ways of doing things. So 
the kids have got to learn somehow. So for, for Sydney, she's passionate about the ocean. She wants to do something with animals and, and the sea. So the natural thing was to, to make a project. And that I, I always think if you're going to do something, then it can't be in theory. You actually have to go out and actually do it instead of just writing in a textbook and then forgetting about it. It's we, we are so lucky that we discovered the cruising community, but also the people who are interested in, you know, stopping the flow of plastic into the ocean, like they all, you know, they find us on the internet and they, they approach us and then we collaborate together and share ideas and solutions. Truly yeah, exactly. life experience. I want to move into your Sea Monkey project. And you definitely, and Indy, both of you, have, you're very well versed and you're very clear when you speak. It's really fun watching you two on the videos. I enjoy them. So where do you want to start? I'll let you guide this. Do you want to start with the bricks, the machine? When, when we got to Malaysia, that was about four years ago now, We, my dad in particular, he wanted to actually uh, do something like we went through a few ideas before we got to this machine. Like one was trying to recycle plastic to make uh, building bricks. But yeah, I actually remember the time he was supposed to be calling this man in India, but he didn't answer and it was just really vague. So that didn't end up happening, obviously. But uh, then my dad and I, I don't know how we really he came across the precious plastics, but we started building our very first machine while our boat was actually in a boatyard. So our boat was out of the water. What? Oh, the, the man who designed. Oh, yeah. Well, the man who designed the machines, he, um, he invented them. He's in Holland, and then he invented them in 2013. The blueprints we got from the precious plastics was actually not right. So my dad did actually kind of have to work it out on him, on his own and, you know, a little bit from scratch, I guess, but not exactly. But so I, I helped him build that machine and I actually did most of the electrical wiring on it. So that, that was actually really, yeah, that was a really good thing to learn because, I mean, I used to have a pet rat as well and he used to chew all the right wires on the boat. So I had to learn how to rewire because of him. Yeah, so that's a good good skill to learn. That is uh, a great story. That is uh, yeah. that is really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, well I wrote an article about that, so maybe I could send it to you if you like. <laughs> um and so then so we built the first machine and we had one person interested in it, but you know, they weren't really committed to it. They just wanted to have it as like a home project, but that is definitely not what we wanted. So, uh, and then maybe the year after that, we didn't really do too much with the machine because we had to go back to Australia to, um, my dad had to do some work. And so the project kind of just sat there for a bit and we moved it into our marina's storage locker. And I kind of feel bad for them because we tested the machine in their storage locker. So we made it all smell like, um, plastic. Not, yeah, plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a failure, that one. But <laughs> No, but it wasn't a failure. It got us to where we are now. Yeah, well. Yeah, and then maybe uh, later on, 
that year when we came back to Malaysia, we um, we tested a bit more with the machine and then we met, Was that, I think it was then when we ended up partnering with Fuse Eco Tier. They're like an eco-tourism company. And um, so they, they kind of helped us you know, because we're partnering with them, they've helped us get a bit bigger, and that's where we started doing fancy things like oiling the metal, the wooden bench, and powder coating all of the met, the metal. And so that we then we got really snazzy in machines. So then we started selling them <laughs> to. Well, we got our first buyer. It was Starbucks, wasn't, wasn't no, it? No, um, uh, plastic-free Jersey, uh, yeah. Jersey Island in the UK. Yeah, so then we got our first buyer, um, the machine's still on there, and they're making little badges and stuff. And, you know, then, so we built that machine in Australia, actually. But then when we had, we got to move back to Malaysia, we're now, we we built them, I can't really remember what, oh yeah, we kept building them in uh, Penang, I guess, an island on Malaysia, in Malaysia. And... Then we partnered when we partnered with Fuseco Tier, we moved into one of their like workshop. Yeah, it wasn't really a workshop. It was like a uh, like a apartment, and it didn't it didn't last very long there because we got so many sound complaints from the shredder moving. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, we got to move the machine into the uh, sort of the CEO of Fuseco Tier. We moved it into his house, and we it just sat there for maybe a month until we got uh, our workshop which we're in right now yeah now we're we've got machine on, on Prandian Island in Malaysia that's just north of Tiamen and we've got a, t- I, a machine on Tiamen Island we have a machine in Bangkok one in the Maripo rainforest that's like in the center of Malaysia and in the UK so it's going really well you know everything that's going on be- behind this project which is your project now explain what this machine actually does. Uh, well, so the original machine uh, that was invented by Dave Hakins. So there's three parts of the machine. You have the shredder, the extrusion, and the injection machine. And but they were originally all on sort of separate tables. But what we did is we were kind of we were the first people, wasn't it? to put them all onto one table. So it's, still no one's done it. Yeah, so we are the first people and the only people so far to do it. And so it's much more portable that way. And, I mean, it's still really, really heavy and we have to lift up <laughs> into the car. Uh, and then, so the shredder, that's the, basically the first step of the process of recycling. Uh, so you have to get the clean, sorted plastic by types because there's seven different types of plastic and, you know, there's... No, they've all got their own personalities, I guess. <laughs> and so we, you have to sort them into types and only recycle one type each time and uh, put them through the shredder and it makes it up into tiny little uh, granules, flakes. flakes. Yeah, yeah, flakes. And uh, then you get the flakes and you, you take them and you can either put them into the extrusion machine or the injection machine. And the extrusion... It goes into the hopper and it goes into like a tube where it mixes up and it melts and then it comes out the very end as like a noodle, I guess. And that's what we get the end of the noodle and we start wrapping it around in a circle and then that's how we make bowls and uh, plant pots. 
Yeah, and um, or then you have the injection machine, and you put the flakes into the hopper, and it goes as a tube, and it melts. And then instead of it coming out as at the very end, you actually have to put a mold onto the bottom. And we have a mold for earrings. Uh, it's just like a disc. But the mold for it is just flat, and we just use a hole puncture and punch out the earrings. And we have a mold for these turtles that we mostly make. I'll just I'll just add something on it. Um, so the the idea behind how we've done the machines is that essentially what I wanted to do was we wanted to create little be able to create essentially a little business in a box. So in these communities where they're poor and they need some extra funds, we can put a machine set there and then one or two people, they can walk around the machine and keep working and then they're producing. So they're getting paid to clean up the area and getting paid to manufacture. So that was the idea behind it. Instead of spreading people out and stuff like that, we try and keep them close together and working with each other. So they're, through this project, Sea Monkey Project, they people are actually, they're able to may have a livelihood of some sort because they are getting paid. Yeah, that's um, basically one of our main goals is to, instead of having like volunteers from like the local turtle rehabilitation project working on it, uh, we have, we want to get the locals doing it. And like on Parentian Island, they make uh, turtles at the moment. We're still getting it going on Tierman, but we had the local cleaners. They are, they just, they're only women, right? Yeah. 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 So the local women cleaners, they, they work for like really minimum wage. So they work for 500 ringgit per month. So 500 ringgit is uh, 125 US dollars per month. I hear that in some countries, the government has what they call an allowable wage. Is this an allowable wage or is this beyond, above and beyond what allowable would be? Um, well, the, the interesting thing is that these cleaners are essentially government contractors <laughs> because they're employed by the local the local council. But minimum wage is, I think it's a one thousand one hundred ringgit or one thousand two hundred ringgit per month. So they're on less than half the minimum wage, wow. and they're government and they're essentially government employees. So it's. There's got to be other things in play there. I don't quite understand what's going on, but I know they're on 500 ringgit a month and they are basically tasked with keeping the village clean and they're doing that for at least six hours a day, <laughs> six days a week too. <laughs> wow, the dignity, dignity of the worker, right? And wow, and it's, it is hard. And But the, look what Indy and Sydney are witness to their witness to this type of treatment of people and how they live and so it's it what you're doing all of you is just so wonderful because you're able to make a change and the thing that is important too is that the person that you may meet Sydney or the indie might meet and have a conversation on the on the street or an echo tier who's there with you you will never know the absolute wonderful imprint that you have made 
for that person that might show up years down the line. Uh, so it's it that's a re, that's what you're doing is remarkable, remarkable, and at such yeah. a young age. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Wow. This is this is really really awesome. So you have been witness to uh, maybe the injustices in, in in countries as far as wages go, fair and just wages. But you're also witness to this project and the creation of your heart and your compassion that the people are de are truly feeling from this. And so I want to move over to these bricks. Yeah. Well, um, I'll let you talk about it because I didn't do the bricks. I think uh, Mom knows yeah, more about so, it than I do. Um, so it actually ha happened. Uh, we, we made the bricks on the island here when we delivered the machine by a speedboat. And that was a lot of fun getting the machine here. The, it was actually the, that's what I was saying about we, we collaborating with people and coming and sharing ideas and the the Jurara Turtle Project who owned the machine, it was, uh, they had thought of the idea of turning their ocean plastic because once it's um, been in the sea for too long, it, it gets a lot of um, oil stuck to it, barnacles, uh, stuff that you, algae. Yeah, and... you just can't clean it uh, enough that recyclers won't recycle it. Um, so there's a, you know, it's all well and good to to pull it out of the ocean, I mean, ideally, our goal is to make sure it doesn't go in in the first place. Once it is taken out of the ocean, there's not a lot you can actually do with it. So Tom, who's the leader of, you know, the recycling project on the island, he experimented in the the um, ratio of plastic flakes. So the shredder, we just basically threw all the ocean plastic in the shredder and it was a, a, a bit of an experiment because it smelled terrible. Yeah, there was lots of horrible <laughs> things, you know, like leftover, um, uh, you know, soft drink in the bottles and that all gone all disgusting. But it all went in the shredder. Carlos was very anxious to see how the shredder would hold up because we had never done it before. And well, it, we also ran it for a really long time because yeah, there was a lot of plastic. It was running, you know, for hours as well. So it was also a, it hasn't hadn't been done before, um, but it went fantastic. It 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 handled it all the plastic really well. And then um, Tom had figured out the ratio between sand and uh, you know this the cement and and some uh, rocks. I think wasn't actually gravel. Yeah, a little bit of gravel, but not not as much as what he, the, he did a direct substitute for the oh, gravel. Oh, okay, yeah. So he, he did a direct substitute for gravel, so they didn't need any. Um, and um, they they've the, obviously there's got to be a bit more testing with durability later on, but so far so good. Yeah, they they're holding up really well. So yeah, yeah. it was another discovery and um, and another application for what to do with the plastic waste that no one can recycle. Yeah, well, this way we can also recycle types that the machine, well, we haven't we haven't been able to recycle with our machine yet. Like, yeah, yeah there's still types that we have to experiment with. Because there's, I mean, seven types seven of Seven different plastic. types, <laughs> and at the moment, we really only experimented with type two and type five. And some type four. And type, type four, four, yeah. 
All right, so I do not, I mean, I know that we have these numbers on the bottom of plastics, and I know that our city says we can't take this number, this number, this number, and yada da. Can you explain the seven plastics? Uh, yeah, so um, type one, uh, that is PET, so polyethylene xylene or something. Yeah. And uh, Come up here. And then uh, that's mostly uh, plastic water bottles. Yeah, yeah we've got the expert here who knows. Yeah. We'll bring him in. Yeah, we um. Hi, Indy. Yeah, okay. So, we um. Hi. He's excited. <laughs> so, uh, the reason I'm classified as the expert is because we did this, um, I guess, plastic education for uh, this school in Kuala Lumpur. And I had to tell all of the kids about the different types of plastic. So, uh, type 1, which is polyethylene terephthalate, is plastic bottles, mostly. Water bottles, and uh, it's... I haven't seen it in a lot of other types of packaging, yeah. Type 2, which is high-density polyethylene, is mostly... Uh, like conditioner bottles, like no. well, shampoo yeah, and shampoo. bottle caps. Yeah. Wait, no, not bottle caps. Yeah, bottle caps. Well, the H, the HD stands for high density, meaning it's really thick. So usually, if you get a very durable plastic, uh, it'll be type two, I guess. So, uh, and then uh, type three, which is um, P polyvinyl chloride. Polyvinyl chloride, I don't know a lot about. Water pipes. Yeah. And uh, on the pictures we have when we show the kids, it has like a picture of these. It's not right. Rubbish. Yeah, I don't know. We've um, got a photo of. Um, more industrial. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, basically all we really know is like the pipes because you don't see it a lot in everyday plastic, I guess. The PVC um, pipes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then. Uh, Type uh, type four is um, low density polyethylene. That is usually um, bags, plastic bags. That's usually plastic bags and yeah. The LD stands for low density. Yeah, it's really thin. And uh, we we don't recycle. We haven't been able to recycle plastic bags yet because they're so flexible. It we can't really shred it. Yeah, but anyway, um, type five, which is polypropylene, is the probably the most popular single-use plastics. It's straws, it's bottle lids, some packaging like Tupperware containers. Yeah, yeah, it's usually like, well, we went to a supermarket and I looked at these containers. It was little uh, candy containers like Tic Tacs. Tic Tacs is type five. Their packaging, and then type six. Uh, is um, styrofoam. Uh, polystyrene. Polystyrene, yeah. Please always avoid that. It's yes. very bad. Yes. I don't think anyone can ever really recycle it because it's mostly air. Indy, how old are you? Uh, 11. 11. That was a great little science presentation you provided. Oh, yeah, we forgot type 7. Type 7 is just literally labeled other, and that's like compact discs and nylon fabrics. And, yeah. 
You know, I never thought about nylon fabrics being considered a plastic. Yeah. Well, um, was it like 95% of, I think it was 97% of all plastic in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is uh, microplastics. And that can mean, you know, little tiny pieces of plastic or fibers. And that's nylon or, um, or the other one. If you have lots of um, plastic-based uh, clothing, about like 10,000 fibers will go into the drains and into the oceans. Oh my gosh! I have, this is so eye-opening to me. I can, I've always considered myself quite the environmentalist and quite the recycler and quite the one that I'm not going to go buy this because it can't be recycled, but I love my nylon pants. And of course, for flying, you don't wear nylon pants. You always wear cotton, just in case you survive a crash. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to burn. I'm a forward thinker like that as well. <laughs> I, always go, I always have running shoes as well, just in case I need to run from a burning plane or something like or that. Zombies. Or zombies. Or zombies, yeah. yeah. Well, but, but there is a way to uh, collect the fibers. In, what are those balls? Uh, you can buy it on the internet. It's called the Cora ball, Cora ball? Yeah. and uh, it was designed. It was sort of inspired by coral because how they filter through um, micro, micro um, algae or something uh, living in the ocean, and you know they made this ball that you can just chuck into your laundry, and it will. I don't know how it works really it's like it's not very that fine but it still manages to collect so many bits of uh, fiber it actually comes out as like a fluff and then you can pick it up you can take it out and uh, put it in the rubbish bin <laughs> yeah probably like a static electric charge or something like that and it's attracting all those little microfibers so like your your polar fleeces and and your moisture wicking shirts and all that sort of stuff <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my goodness gracious, this is, this is so interesting. Uh, yeah. Wow, wow. And I see all of you were in cotton. <laughs> now we know we're, we're making decisions. Yeah. But like, yeah. Education. Yeah. It's a, the more, the, the, we've kind of gone into the rabbit hole of, um, you know, finding out all these things and, and being <laughs> horrified as well. Yep. <laughs> well, and that's one of the reasons why Sydney became a vegetarian. People can make those decisions. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think that's a very important thing is that it is really, really, really hard for people to make an informed and educated decision because they don't have the full story. And it is, trust us, it is seriously hard to find the full story, it, it takes a long time. So only once you get the full story the whole way around, can you sit there and actually say, okay, consciously, I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna do that. It, you can't really poke blame or, or put people at fault because they don't know. So that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is, we're trying to provide that education and that bit of knowledge so that people can then make an informed decision and they might not they might not go to the extreme or the length of what we are doing 
but they've still got the information that they can go to the level that they are comfortable with, that they're happy to do. And that's all that we can ask. That is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, tell her about that. Yeah, well, like, uh, when we visited Sumatra, like, three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, about three years ago. And uh, we came to shore once, and when we docked our dinghy and we were walking along the jetty, you could see the... Um, the fishermen were getting blocks of ice and chucking it into their boat for, you know, their day of fishing. And But all of the blocks of ice, they were just frozen water inside plastic bags and rubber bands. So they were cutting, they were cutting the plastic bags off and chucking them into the water just off the side of the jetty because they didn't know and um, they don't know Thousands how it affects. Yeah, there, there were so many bags. Uh, but they just, they, they didn't really know because this was quite a poor community and it was fairly isolated. But you can see there was trash everywhere. And But what we did was we, we stopped and we helped them cut the plastic bags off. But we kept the bags and put them into another sort of, I don't know, just another bag. And then we took the bag and we showed them what we were doing. And we went and chucked it into the nearest dumpster. And then we just kept going and we said, yeah, goodbye and stuff. But then when we came back the next day, they were collecting the bags themselves and putting it into the dumpster. Yay! <laughs> your modeling and your education work. Isn't that fun to see that? Yeah. And yeah, exactly. That's and it, it's just a it may be just a little small piece in the world and just a few people, but word spreads and they'll continue to do this and, and it's just yeah, we just, there's a lot of work and educating that needs to be done and yeah. and yeah. a lot of informing. A big component to what we do is um, creating education material and, uh, and mainly for kids um, because we find that they are just more open to, you know, learning about things um, and there's not actually a lot of information for, for the youth about global issues because, um, you know, obviously more focused on, you know, science and math and all the important, so-called important things. And yeah, people don't want to expose their children to the world yeah, at such a young yeah, age. I think a lot of people try to protect kids, you know, they're like, oh, we don't want to make it too depressing for them, but, you know, I think... I think that kids have got a lot of power and like if they if they get the knowledge they're likely to tell their parents you know like oh let's not let's not have a straw with our drink or we don't need a plastic bag or why you know because kids are very curious and once they find out different things they will tell their parents about it so that's um a key factor and what we do is um you know get the kids informed and then they hopefully will will um, spread the word through their communities. Absolutely. Have you heard of the global school strike? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. <laughs> oh, we, we may even be, um, you know, Greta Thunberg. She's of course. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But, like, she's going to New York uh, at the end of this year. And, I don't know, my mom's definitely going to this uh, United Nations climate uprising uh, it's conference, climate conference, climate conference in New York, and Greta's going to be there as well, so we're probably going to meet her. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll I see. I might be going, but 
we yeah, don't know the, yet. <laughs> the, the curriculum that um, I um, help create with um, a, a girl I work with, um, the UN are going to launch it um, at the event. And uh, so, yeah, so it'll have, so it's kind of like, you know, a, a lot of what we've done, like, well, I've contributed a lot of the, because I'm a cartoonist, I probably didn't um, state that in the beginning. Uh, so that's my job is to create all the educa uh, visual education in a fun way uh, um, so kids can learn and, um, you know, in, in a, in a, you know, in a more fun way than just text and, you know, bullet points. <laughs> yes. So you're the one on the website that has created all of those cartoon visuals on SeaMonkey. Yes. Yeah, they're they're right. wonderful. I was looking at those and, and I have actually, I wanted to mention that your website is amazing. Very user-friendly, but it's fun. I'd like to hear more about this curriculum. So the United, how did you get it into the United Nations? Do you enter it do how how did this occur yeah um so yeah but the key point is um is collaborating with people so i have been working with uh, a lady called lindsay hawkins for quite a while and we've been doing a lot of education um with um you know environmental education so she creates the content and i do all the illustrating for it so um she you know through her contacts, that's how it, the whole UN get, got involved. They, they they saw what we did and they liked it and they said there's definitely a need for, um, you know, for it, it covers, you know, all those global goals, the UN uh, sustainable global goals for that. And, um, and it's, yeah, not just ocean plastics, but biodiversity, um, healthy eating. Sustainable linear, living. Yeah, sustainable living, linear economy versus... Spending um, more time outdoors. Yeah, and you know, and it, it does actually touch on, um, you know, where like factory farming, and it's a workbook, and um, and it, it pretty much lays out everything that is, you know, the realities of what the world is, um, you know, w what's happening in the world um, in environmental ways. Um, so yeah, it's going to be translated into all languages yeah whoever wants it it'll be provided in in that format that will be an awesome launch so all right so now your turtle necklaces you sell these turtle necklaces and they're beautiful and we have uh, the green turtle and the leatherback turtle and those were actually made to raise awareness for turtles in malaysia because the green turtle is the most common one that comes to malaysia to nest but the leatherback is actually extinct in Malaysia, so... Oh, my. Yeah, it doesn't come to Malaysia anymore. Uh, it's the biggest sea turtle in the ocean, and, you know, they're very big, actually. They're, like, I mean, they can grow, like, five feet long. Why don't they go to Malaysia to nest anymore? Do you know why? Human interaction with uh, pollution. Eating the and, egg. Yeah, they collect the eggs uh, to eat, and... Um, eat the meat as well such a big turtle you're going to get a lot of meat out right. of that and i think yeah. they're also vulnerable to boat boat strikes oh, yeah, and definitely. getting caught in nets and yeah they they got a lot um against working against them it's quite you know, a big thing as well is that the turtles return back to basically the 
very much the same area, if not the same beach, they to do. nest. They do. So what happens is that the locals, they keep taking the eggs and eggs and eggs, and out of each nesting, only one or two of those eggs will survive if they all make it to the beach. So gradually, they've just been taking all the eggs away, and over a while, there's no the the leatherbacks are not coming here anymore. So they're basically extinct, extinct because the people have essentially hunted all the eggs, and they also catch the uh, the leatherbacks themselves and eat them. So that's the reason why. Yeah, it's quite sad because well, turtles they're really vulnerable in their natural habitat anyway most of the time. Mm. Like, but then with humans, yeah, you have to try and do your best, and um, and I think that 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 attitude is um, unfortunately like the of oh, oh, don't worry about it is um, is out there, and and that's where kids and the kids are actually stepping up, which is you know it's really great that they're not just getting pushed down by by the adults anymore there's a lot of kids that are actually making a stand i will order my necklace i'm going to order i think a rainbow warrior oh, oh nice. yeah <laughs> so i like, will uh, like an interesting fact about that one is that was actually kind of an experiment because that the rainbow ones are actually made out of type two so bottle caps and uh they actually don't it doesn't mix as well as uh, the straws. So we were able to just chuck uh, all different colors in and then it just didn't mix and it made the rainbow. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, it's always fun trying out diff, you know, different combinations to see what colors come out. And yeah, it's a really creative process yeah. making them. It's my job is teaching the locals, like, you know, Color, you know, color combinations, and sort of, you know, just guiding them with, um, you know, what what to put in and uh, to get the the nice the nicer looking turtles. Yeah. You have a a absolute fantastic job in this world, and I appreciate the imprints that you are leaving here and thank you for joining me here on Your Positive Imprints and let's leave with something inspiring from Sydney inspiring <laughs> words for all of the listeners not that you haven't oh. been inspiring you've been very <laughs> inspiring but we want to close with, with... <laughs> <laughs> really the wildlife that's been on our planet has been here for so much longer than humans ever have been and they've made you know they've all worked together to make a giant you know just a symbiotic ecosystem where they all work together and it they just well so they just they managed to make it so perfect i guess it took so long to evolve that but then when humans come along and they start being selfish and just don't be they're not considerate of the things that have been here so much longer than us you know how like you know children are taught to be nice to elderly people because they're much wiser and they've been here so much longer we're not doing the same thing to the planet and I mean just for this planet to evolve so perfectly I guess just to be destroyed by humans 
is in not that much of in not that long of time it's just so sad and why it's it's not even that hard like we've got so many solutions to things that work but it's just a lack of in lack of caring that none of these things have gone forth yet and it's not it just hasn't happened yet and it needs you just need to care really yeah even so like really greedy businessmen who they just completely destroy the earth for their own profit they don't understand that not even they can survive without the planet and they're just destroying it it's like really you want to make money right if you keep doing this you're not going to end up making money anymore because you've just depleted your uh depleted your stocks and everything you have learned wisdom through all of your experiences sydney steenland well your everyday life is inspiring the world thank yes. you thank you also and play a turtle please <laughs> If you would like to buy a turtle and support our project where the funds go directly into funding our project to build machines, uh, fund beach cleanups and plastic education, and also paying the workers who make the turtles, you can go to our website, seamonkeyproject.com, and you can also learn about uh, plastic waste and uh, know how what we do and how we do it and see all mum's awesome cartoons yes Yay. thank you thank you bye carlos bye-bye thank you you're welcome bye-bye wow your positive achievements are certainly inspiring positive actions worldwide. Well, I want to just close with this quote from Amy Vital, who you might have seen on Instagram, National Geographic, or other places. Her name is A-M-I-V-I-T-A-L-E. So she says, if we are to survive and create a sustainable future, we must understand that saving nature is about saving ourselves. Well, thank you again for listening to Your Positive Imprint. I know you love this episode, so please remember to hit that five-star review. Also, please post positive feedback from your favorite podcast platform. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?